There's something powerful about taking communion together and singing together and being reminded of what really matters and where our true identity comes from and the grace and the power of God. Today, as we continue our startup series and look at this incredible sermon that Jesus preached, we're going to discover that he's going to really diagnose a problem we all have. Why do we say things we shouldn't? But rather than just trying harder to control your tongue, Jesus is going to give a very unique diagnosis of the problem and a much deeper ability to solve it. But to do that, as I mentioned last week, whenever Jesus speaks, you want to ask yourself, he's a Jewish rabbi, what Old Testament passage is he pulling apart for us? So as I was going through the Sermon on the Prairie, I was trying to figure out exactly where this text was coming from. I mentioned a little last week, I want to dig down even more today to show that Jesus is paralleling his teaching to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Without giving all the detail again, let me just remind you again. In Luke, he begins with a series of blessings. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who uh, thirst for righteousness. Several blessings. Deuteronomy 28 was Moses' sermon, which has a whole series of blessing if you this, blessed if you that, blessed if you this. Then Jesus launches into a series of woes, or, or be carefuls, or consequences are coming if you do this. They're called the, the woes. Moses does the same thing. He has a series of cursed if you do this, cursed if you do this, consequences if you do this. Both sermons parallel again because then Moses talks about what happens when you, when you get away from being centered on God, you lose the ability to see yourself, God, and the world correctly. Jesus does the same thing in his sermon in Luke chapter 6, talking about sight, how you see, how you perceive, how you look. Then Jesus launches into a a strange passage we'll look at today, where he references trees, grapes, figs. At the same time, if you look over on the other side, you see Moses talks about when you stay synced up with God, he's going to do some things in your life that affect the vineyards, affect the grapes, affect the figs. Then, they will both reverence the idea of a phrase used only twice in the Bible, once in Deuteronomy 28, once in Luke 6. What does it mean to have good treasure from God and to speak out of your mouth from the good treasure within your heart? Then they will both reference abundance, that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, Moses will say, out of the abundance of everything God's given you is how you live. So Jesus is trying to teach us, the main theme of Moses' sermon is that when you are connected to God, deeply at your core, day by day, moment by moment, the overflow of his goodness, the overflow of his patience flows out of your mouth. And Jesus is going to dig down into that. Now if you're honest, and I'm honest, haven't you had that moment, like daily, where you think, oh, I should not have said that in that argument. I can't believe in the heat of an argument with my spouse, the word divorce passed through my lips. I can't believe when I got so frustrated at my teenager that in the middle of trying to discipline them, the words came out of my mouth, you're such a disappointment. Oh, why did I say that? Why was I so defensive? Why was I so harsh? We were playing games uh, about two or three years ago. At our house, and so 
we finished playing some euchre, and then we started playing a, kind of a question game we'll do where I'll bring in a book of questions, and I'll ask everyone to answer it. So the question that popped up was, did you ever have a, a household nickname growing up? So somebody came up to their house and said, oh, yeah, yeah, when I was on the soccer team, I got called this. And they got to me and said, oh, yeah, I used to be called Flipper because I got such big feet when I was on the soccer team. We're kind of laughing at different nicknames. We get around to my son, Javen, and Javen said, I don't really think I had a nickname. Well, that's right, we can give you a different question. He said, well, Dad did call me Mumbler for two years. Man, everyone left, and I, and I called him aside. I said, Javen, I am so sorry. When did I do that? Well, I don't know, when I was, you know, about seven or eight. And, oh, and I begged his forgiveness. And then I remembered that he used to not be a real articulate on the phone. And Alice in Wonderland had just come out, and there was a phrase from the movie Mouse in Wonderland said, Mumbler. And so I was trying to teach him how to talk articulately on the phone. But in that moment, I called him Mumbler, and it stuck. And oh, he was so gracious to forgive me. But man, we all need to work on what comes out of our mouth because the words that come out of our mouth can have generational impact. That's why Jesus says, what you think is a mouth problem is actually a heart problem. And change is really heart work. A mouth problem is really a heart problem. And change is really heart work. I want to give you three reasons why the heart and the mouth are connected and how to diagnose this so we can get to the bottom what really is causing the problems we have. First, Jesus says that words are the fruits that reveal your deeper roots. So when you see fruits coming out of your mouth, that's just the results of the root of what's going on under the surface. A good tree has fruit. A good tree that's the root, does not bear bad fruit. Nor does a bad root or tree bear good fruit. So if you want to get good fruit in your life, you need to deal with the root problem. Every tree is known by its fruit. So if you start seeing fruit coming out of your life that you don't like, you need to go look at the root. Men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Now notice, Jesus references here trees figs, grapes, and bramble. Now, bramble bush is a thorn bush. And Jesus' connection here, just to show you what some of these vegetations look like in Israel, here's what a fig tree would look like. Here's what a bramble tree or bush would look like. Here's what a thorn bush would look like. Now, remember, whenever Jesus is speaking, he's trying to bring to bear something from the Old Testament. So can you think of any time in the Old Testament where the Bible references talking trees, talking figs, talking brambles, or thorns? Uh, No, I must have missed that one in Sunday school. Chad, I don't remember the talking tree story in the Bible. Well, it's actually in the book of Judges. It's one of the first parables ever told. Let me give you the background. Gideon, in the book of Judges, his dad... Wet fleece, dry fleece, dry fleece, wet ground, has risked his life to save the people, liberated them. And now one of his 70 sons decides to overthrow the empire, Abimelech. And Abimelech comes and says, I want to be in charge, and he's a despicable king. He says, If you put me in charge, the rest of my brothers are scoundrels, let's kill them off. 
So he is the new king, talks the people into killing off 68 of his brothers, but one of them escapes, a man by the name of Jotham. He's now being hunted by the people. But rather than going and hiding, Jotham instead runs from hiding into the town square and says, I have a parable to tell you. There once was a forest with a group of trees looking for a leader. And they came to a tree, an olive tree, and said, would you serve over us? The olive tree said, I'm really too busy making oil. Find someone else. So the group of trees went to find another king. And instead they went to the fig. Second reference to Jesus. And they said to the fig tree, would you serve over us? And the fig tree, talking fig trees, said, should I sweet cease my sweetness of producing fruit to be your king? No, no, find someone else. So they gather again and they come to the grapevine and say to the grapevine, would you be our king? The grapevine talks and says, no, 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 I'm too busy making sweet wine. Therefore, when all the trees couldn't find anyone good to be their king, they turned to the bramble and said, well, how about you come and reign over us? Now, bramble was a sticker bush that would often burst into fire because it would get so brittle. So a bramble was a very dangerous uh, piece, often caused you know, forest fires and things like that in the area. In the parable, he says, And they came to the bramble and said, Would you reign over us? And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. I'll protect you. And by the way, if you don't make me your king, I will burn this place down. What has that got to do with Jesus speaking about? But you see the parallel. We got figs, we got trees, we got bramble. This whole story, Jotham goes on to say, My dad sacrificed for you, risked his life for you, and now you're not serving him with sincerity and truth. You've got the wrong king. Jesus is going to show that when you speak words of defensiveness, harshness, anger, being out of control, the real problem is you got the wrong king. you got a bramble in charge under the surface. And so you need to look deeper at what's going on inside of your heart. You need to figure out what's functionally driving you. And I want to talk about how that works in just a moment. How do you discover what the root is that's driving your fruits? And Jesus uses another metaphor that will help me sort of play this out in a way that can be applicable. Let me go to the next part. Words, Jesus says, are the currency that comes from what you really, really treasure. So as you see words coming out of your mouth, they speak to the deep part of your core, the root of who you are, which you really treasure. See, a good man, out of the good treasure that's in his heart, will bring forth good. He's bringing forth out of his mouth what's treasured in his heart. An evil man will bring out of his evil treasure the heart brings forth evil. Now remember, this is paralleling what happened in Deuteronomy. That when you're really connected to God, you begin to know that his, not your, good treasure inside of you that is coming out. So let me give you an example. I will notice patterns of when I get angry when I lose control, when I have an inappropriate amount of emotion for the situation. And with a son with special needs, I'm often frustrated, often angry, 
Now, part of it is the circumstance. It's a very challenging circumstance. And you could just sort of dismiss that. Yep, life's tough. But if you'll do the work of digging down into the root and saying, what do I really treasure that's making this so maddening? And when I find myself losing my temper at my autistic son who doesn't even know I'm mad, I have to ask some questions. And the questions I've discovered when I get angry is, you know what I really treasure? Efficiency. Speed. Productivity. Oh, I say I treasure God, but if you look at what really drives me, they're usually good things. Speed, efficiency, productivity. What's so frustrating about eight years of potty training is it's not very efficient. It's not very productive. If I treasured being with my son as the number one treasure, what would come out of my mouth is just more time to be with my son. But because I treasure efficiency and productivity, and this is so not that, I get angry. Have you ever been disciplining your kids? And you bring a more than needed amount of amperage to the conversation. Instead of saying you need to control your tongue, figure out why. What's the currency? And I would propose to you that often when you're disciplining your kids or yelling at your kids or your grandkids, it's because it's not just about what they did. It's about what does it say about me that my kids disobey? So it's not really about what they did as much as what it's saying about you. What kind of a parent am I if I have kids that do this? Now we're getting deeper. See, what I really treasure is my reputation. What I really treasure is my status. What I really treasure is power. And this situation makes me feel out of control. And so digging deep into your words to figure out, what do these words tell me about what I treasure? I'm not really treasuring the security I have in God. I don't really feel like my my treasure is I am fully secure in God because I need God plus obedient children to feel good about myself. I need need what God has done for me on the cross plus a good reputation to feel good about myself. And that is why this situation is so amped up. It's revealing my treasures. And that's why the gospel, the main message of the Bible, number one, it humbles us so deeply because it says that everything you did was so severe that Jesus had to die on a cross for you. Now, if you treasure the idea that you've been humbled by God at the cross, that when your spouse, when your boss, when a colleague brings something up to you, hey, I notice you have a tendency to. If you really treasure the humility of what happened on the cross, you don't get defensive. You say, you know what? Whatever they're about to bring to the table is probably true. Jesus died for a whole lot worse than this. And you're open to feedback. And because in Christ you've been fully elevated, fully accepted based on what he did, not based on what you do, you don't have to cover up or rationalize or excuse your behaviors. Because no amount of your obedience is going to make you any more valuable than what Jesus did for you. So you're secure to own and take responsibility for what you might have done in the situation. And that's how the gospel works. That's why working on your words is not just working on your words. It's heart work. 
What am I treasuring besides God and His grace that's driving this behavior here? Part of the reason we start our church is because often when you go and you hear a Bible study, you hear a spiritual lesson, you get to hear a lot of try harder. And that'll work for about an hour. Sometimes trying harder work for a week. But the Bible says the gospel, what I just explained, is the, is the power of God unto salvation. And because we so treasured Jesus and what he did and who he is as the powerhouse for changing marriages, for changing lives, for changing how we speak and speaking words of life and how families are changed, because we so treasure that as a church and so treasure the Bible, all of our strategies, all of our missions, all of our values flow out of what we treasure. Where I think we're the only church in America who attempts to do two different types of services, 100% different on a weekend. Every time I tell some people, I was at a conference last week, they're like, what? You speak two 100% different messages? I said, yeah, except for one time a year, they're about 80% the same. Other than that, you do two 100% different messages? Yeah. Two different bands, two different sets? Yeah, Why? Because we're so convinced that the Great Commission, evangelism and discipleship, is so key that we know there's some of you would say, I got friends who would love to come to this service. They would have loved worshiping and, and, and taking communion. And you've got other friends you're like, that was weird. I like it because I'm convinced of this stuff. My friends would come and they're like, no, that's, that's, that's too much. Which is why we have an exploring service where you can invite friends to hear mostly secular music you'd hear on the radio, bring up spiritual themes. That's why it's 100% different, because we're so treasure the Bible, and so treasure people, and so treasure Jesus, we want to have a customizable way of creating environments for people to come and discover a grace that can change and, and, and deepen and connect us to purpose. Third, words are the fuel gauges of the heart's tank. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How Deuteronomy had said it is when you realize that everything you have, when you get serving, you're serving daily God, that out of the abundance, the abundance of everything is how I live. I work out of abundance. I love out of abundance. I live out of abundance. But if you're not seeing abundance come out of your mouth... You need to check the fuel gauge on your heart. You need to step back and say, God, how patient have you been with me? Let's revisit the last 40 years. Wow, God, you've been very patient with me. When I did this, when I didn't do that, when I went through those years, when I gave up on you, when I screamed that one time, And you begin to get, man, God has been so kind when I was cruel, so patient when I was impatient. When you get filled up with God's patience, suddenly when you need to be patient with your kids, with a boss, with a company, with a client, you don't do it because they deserve it. That's a recipe for disaster in any relationship. You extend patience to other people out of the abundance of how patient God has been to you. You can forgive others, not because they deserve it. People rarely deserve forgiveness. God has forgiven you of so much more. You're so filled up to abundance with God's forgiveness. To you, you can extend from your mouth forgiveness to others. 
You're so aware of God's mercy to you, not giving you what you deserve. You can extend mercy, not giving them what they deserve, even when they deserve it. You're so overwhelmed by God's generosity to you. So generous, so gracious, gave his very best to me, that I can go and give my very best to others. And what is coming out of your mouth is not forgiveness and grace and generosity. It's not a time to work harder. It's a time to go deeper and to allow God to fill your heart back up with what he's done for you with the gospel. Because when you're filled up out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And that's why a heart problem is really, I mean, a mouth problem is really a heart problem. And change, if you want to make changes in this area, it's going to be really heart work. So let's go over Jesus' three metaphors and look at how we can do this heart work together. Number one, emotions. Check your emotions. And when you see the emotions in your life, you need to check the root. Now, Martin Luther had a fascinating diagnosis of this. When you see emotions that are disproportionate to the situation, and by the way, it's a lot easier to see this in your spouse than yourself. Why is she getting so upset about cleaning the house just because I've got friends coming over? Because I have the gift of hospitality. <laughs> you have the gift of hospitality. I'm not feeling very hospitable. And you notice it's not just about being hospital. It's about, oh, I'm needing to impress mom and dad because mom has a tendency or mother-in-law has a tendency to check stuff. And, and so it's really about my status. Am I good enough for your, your son? And that's why the stress is brought into the cleaning. Or, or the reason I'm so frustrated at my son or daughter is because it says something about my status, my performance as a, as a parent. Martin Luther says this. It's really fascinating. It's kind of wordy, but he says, before you break any other commandment, envying, lying, stealing, you always first break the first commandment. You have a different God functioning in your heart. Something besides God has taken over at your core. Status, performance, reputation, your appearance, your power, the need for pleasure. And that functional God has become your real savior and it pounds you that you've got to fix this to feel good about yourself. Here's what he says. It's a little wordy, but here's what he says. All those who do not at all times trust God and do not in all their works or sufferings, life and death, trust his favor, grace and goodwill, but instead seek his favor in other things or in themselves, do not keep the first commandment. And therefore they practice real idolatry. If we doubt or do not believe that God is gracious to us and is pleased with us, the gospel... Or if we presumptuously expect to please him only through and after our works, then it's all pure deception. Outwardly honoring God, but inwardly we've set up a self as a false savior. And that's what a false god is. A false god is my ability to perform is what really determines my value. How I look determines how good I feel about myself. I want a good self-image. It's all based on self when you see emotions coming out of you, you've probably set up a false savior. And every savior but grace is insecure. One day it'll bless you on the way up and it'll tear you down on the way down. But grace is unmerited favor. God forgave us past, present, and future and you are fully accepted by God. So check your emotions. Second, check your inputs. Check your tanks. Have you ever noticed that you get more irritable when you're tired? 
or there's not enough margin. When Elijah was incredibly depressed and angry in the book of Kings, the angel shows up and says, Elijah, God has a word for you. What? Take a nap. (laughs) He wakes up. Take another nap. He wakes up again, and the angel makes him a cake. I mean, it's like, wow, God is great. He makes him a chocolate cake. He's like, you got to be eating right. you got to be sleeping right. Because when your tanks are empty, you don't have anything to give. But emotionally, that's true, too. When your emotion tanks get so empty, there's nothing to give. It's amazing how we talk in ways. The currency of our heart comes out in different ways. We're not speaking out of abundance. Now, sometimes, see, God designed the soul like, a, like an engine. In order for an engine to run, you need gas and air. And if you don't have a mixture of gas and air, you're not going to run right. And many of us live with no margin. Our schedules are so packed. Fill, 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 fill it all the way up, fill it all the way up. Imagine filling, filling your engine all the way up with gas. There's not enough air. It wouldn't run. My dad was selling a mini bike when he was a kid. Great mini bike. He's trying to get top dollar off it. He's cleaning the thing up, polishing it up. His buddy came over and said, what are you doing? Selling the mini bike today. Buyer's coming. Just finishing up. Just change the oil. Could you fill it up for me? Sure. Dad went back to the garage, got the last uh, piece, came back there. Oil checked. Oil checked. Put it on. Buyer shows up. Gets on that mini bike. He gets about 50 feet. Oil going everywhere. Oil busting out of the engine, going all over the place, all over the floor. Pulls back up. I think I'm going to keep looking. My dad turned to his friend like, what happened? This thing runs great. So I don't know, I just filled the oil up. Filled it up? Yeah, yeah, I, I got a lawnmower service. We always fill the oil all the way up to the top. It's like, not on a mini bike. You fill it up to the dipstick. You've overfilled that thing. You didn't leave enough space or air in the tank, and it didn't run well. And you need to check your tanks because many of us have not put any margin in our emotions. We're running with no margins all the time. And what happens without the air that's needed in the oil, the air that's needed in the engine to mix with that gas, what comes out of our mouth is a sign that we need to check our tanks and rest. It's part of the rhythm God designed us for. Being filled up spiritually, emotionally, physically may be the solution to just working harder on your tongue. And lastly, this idea of treasure, our money. What do you really treasure? If you check your treasures, you want to align and put your, your, your mouth where your money is. You hear it the opposite, but the Bible says that your mouth is always where your real money is. What you really do speaks to what you really treasure. So check what you treasure. Is it efficiency over presence? Is it fixing over comforting? Is it acceptance of God or is acceptance by others' approval? Check your treasures. And that's why Jesus' diagnosis of the problem of the mouth is so much deeper than just try harder. It's really a heart problem. It's heart work. And that's why we as a church, when we began the church, we said, we want our put our mouth where our treasures are. We want our strategies. We want this church to be a place where we value people. Everybody helps out. It's one of our values. 
where we comfortably connect people to God because people matter to God, where we sacrifice for one another, where we honor one another, where, where we put together the most creative way to make the Bible come alive and be relevant in people's lives. In the 1500s, the Gutenberg Press had been invented. It was the most modern technology at the time. But there was no English translations of the Bible from the Greek to English. There was this pretty brilliant new scholar, his name was William Tyndale, who wanted to translate the Bible for the first time in English. And there was incredible opposition from the powers that be not to allow the Bible to get into the hands of laymen. Let alone to use this brand new technology, the Gutenberg Press, to make it available to anyone and everyone in the world. The problem is it would take six months, which is pretty amazing he did in six months, six months for him to translate it. Under threat of his life, what would he do? How would he do it? (laughs) Well, he did it in six months, but he didn't do it without the help of a man in the shadows. A man who was not a scholar, who but believed and treasured Jesus and treasured the Bible and wanted it through the most modern technology in people's hands. His name was Humphrey Monmouth, a business owner, a gospel patron who said, I want to use the resources I have and I want to align my treasures, my literal treasures, with what God treasures. And he began and told Tyndale that he could stay at his house protected for six months. He would give him a salary for six months, that he would provide for lodging and food for six months because he had the resources to do it. And he used his treasures to create a space, an environment, using the most modern technology to get the Bible into people's hands. And yet nobody even knows his name, but he was okay with that. He just knew he had resources that could make the gospel go further. That's really what our church has been about from the beginning. Even when we built this facility, it was to facilitate something. The building was an end to itself. A facility facilitates creativity. It facilitates Bible teaching. It facilitates creating environments for people when there's a funeral to feel loved and cared for and comforted together. In fact, people often ask, like, who designed the building? And we can mention the architect, but I'll say, you know who really designed the building? If you were there, you remember this, by the way. We gathered together with a gigantic poster board out by the old uh, lake out there. 200 cars parked there 10 years ago and said, what do you envision a facility that facilitates God's work would look like? And we filled it with post-it notes. It's amazing today, if you look at our building, you can track that building back to that brainstorming session 10 years ago where all of us put ideas, a bridal room, a, 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 a lighting system, a great children's area, a children's play set. It needs to look like a church but feel welcoming. It needs to have like a, a, a sanctuary type feel with a lake so it feels like you're connecting with God. We put our mouth where our money was. We wanted everyone's involvement in what ultimately became this facility. Because we treasured. We treasured other people's opinions. We treasured the idea of creating a space that would make the Bible come alive for us and our friends. I don't know how many of you recognize this painting. If you don't, you see it when you come in the church on your way up the stairs. This painting is Jesus, but this painting was painted at our last service, Christmas Eve, at Cincinnati Country Day School. So we keep this hanging upstairs as a reminder to all of us who were there the last day at Cincinnati Country Day. Some people who don't know the story say, why is Jesus sad? I'll tell you why Jesus is sad, because he's not supposed to be sad. This painting was painted to be Jesus' nativity. So his beard 
right here was a nativity set. That's Jesus in a manger. And this was Mary leaning over the manger. And this was Joseph leaning over the manger. And as the painting went on, as I spoke that day, he transformed the nativity into the face of Jesus. We want everyone to remember that those who gave financially two-year pledges, three-year pledges, four-year pledges, those who served for so many years, helped in children's ministry for so many years, to remember the day that God took our desire to treasure what he treasured in Jesus and take it to the next step to say, we're going to create a new place where people can treasure Jesus. And if you were there that day, you remember, and we pulled out a piece of paper and said, let's everyone who's been part of this sign the back. We ended up not putting it on the back. We kept it as its own piece. My in-laws were in town last night, and I saw their, their names are right here from 10 years ago. Everyone who gave, served, loved, invited, and treasured. So we still keep these in the building today as a reminder. A reminder that we want this to be a facility that facilitates Grace that teaches about a God who loves us when we're at our best and when we're at our worst. And each name on this, maybe you're, you're on this, maybe you, you wish you'd been part of that stage. Say, I want to be part of the next phase of Horizon. Part of why we're looking to raise a million dollars for the newest technology. It's not the Gutenberg Press anymore. It's video production. The idea that people get on our website and they download an MP3. That's like 15-year-old technology. You can't access video. We really felt like as a team, the same way the Gutenberg Press made the Bible relevant, we feel like we need to have video available. Because I can't tell you how many folks say, I started coming to the church, but I listened to ten messages before I came. People visit online before they visit in person. So part of the million dollars that we're raising is to try and have our services available, because many of you travel, and you want to be able to see services when you're gone on a weekend. You want to be able to say, that message was so helpful, let me send a link to my buddy. And they're going to see 20 links before they actually come to our service. We also feel like we need to create space for 20% additional capacity. So Turner's looking at several rooms, including our youth theater and how to retrofit it so we can increase 20% capacity at our 850 service and our 10 o'clock service. But to do that, we're all going to need to be involved. Saying, I want to be part of this. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you. If it's a one-year pledge or a two-year pledge or a four-year pledge, there's no pressure. But I want to put my name and my treasures on the thing that God treasures. I want to be part of a place where the Bible comes alive I'll be part of a place where you come to church for five, ten years and you say, I'm still learning new things about myself, about God, and about how to live this life he's called us to. And we want this to be a place of generosity, that we give here, near, and far. We've heard the last couple weeks about some of the things we've done in Belize and Cancun. But this last week, you know about the huge flood that happened here in Newtown. And part of our giving and part of our supporting our community is I want to challenge you to not only think about a pledge you might want to give and call the office about how you might want to be part of our, our future growth fund related to the technology and the future space. But something you can do immediately this week would be pick up a blue bag. If you go out to our information center right by the front door, you can pick up one of these things. There's a list inside there. Cleaning supplies that are needed on the one side, perishable food on the other. We're partnering with Interparish Ministries to help all the families who can't, can't get back into their houses because of all the different issues need to be cleaned up. So you can fill that out this week, bring it back next week, or if the need's pretty great, you can bring it back Monday through Friday as well, and we'll get that into their hands. Lastly, Christmas, I was Christmas, that was that, that's Christmas, Easter is coming up, and so we're doing, uh, what are we doing, six Easter services this year, and they're going to be identical. We're going to have two on Saturday, one at 4 p.m. and one at 5 p.m., 
And on Sunday, we're going to have our usual 8.50, 10, 11, 10. We're going to add another service at 12.20. And so our hope is that this can be a place that you and your family and your friends, your neighbors can be invited to. But it is a ticketed event. Now, the tickets are free. But it does help us sort and make sure everybody has a seat. So when you go out today, go down by the fireplace, and you'll get your Easter tickets there. You can grab your Easter tickets. Just get enough for whatever you need for you and your family and friends. We also have two children's events. We have the E-Station annual Easter egg hunt on Saturday. And it's going to be at 4 and at 5. Children fourth grade and under. Joining the fun is a helicopter. Again, we'll be dropping thousands of eggs filled with goodies on Horizon's lawn, as many of you have been to this before. Plus, we're going to have a petting zoo this year where kids can pet and feed some small animals, rabbits and such. So just continue ways that we want to make it easy for you to invite your friends to come here. And if it's not to a church service, maybe it's to a helicopter Easter egg drop. So tickets are available by the fireplace. The blue bags are available at the front door. Let's close in prayer, and I appreciate everybody being here today. Father, thank you for the incredible story you've been weaving in our life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your incredible work on the cross, and that we can be part of facilitating the Great Commission, even today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today.